Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel Out of Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 281 to 284 and as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider subscribing. Chapter 281 Feelings Oh Wells Point Docks Mills's arms darted out and caught Tatjana as she nearly tripped over the bobbing skiff when she tried to climb up the slippery steps of the harbour slip. The rest of Eagle Company were being ferried over by the river boats when they returned to cross the Shard River. Be careful, Mills warned as she gaped at her restraining arms firmly. It's slippery. Tatjana blushed angrily and then when she managed to stand on firm ground, she shrugged off Mills's helping hand. I can walk by myself she proudly said, and stomped off before Mills, much to the escorting marine's mirth. Damn, Sarge, one of the snickering marines commented. I think she's falling in love with you, Sarge. Mills rolled his eyes dramatically and flipped the middle finger at them. You know what a viper is? The marines grinned wildly. Yeah, a poisonous snake, yes? She most likely is the one stabbing me in my sleep or poisoning me in my meals if we ever get together, Mills snorted. The men laughed in Mills's reply, but it would be worth it. Tatjana gritted her teeth hard together as she heard the words of the barbarian soldiers behind her. As if I would ever fall for a curt low-bred barbarian who even cut his ears short. She hissed under her breath. All right, enough jokes, Mills grinned. You are making our princess here blush. Tatjana paused and her steps and turned back to growl at Mills. She never ever encountered such a maddening man before. All the men she had met either were in awe, street-talking, or fawning over her, while others were either fearful or wanting her death. This was the first time she met someone confusing, who treated her courteously, and even more so, he treated her like a lady instead of an enemy who as they were trying to kill each other a few days ago. Now he was joking and teasing her like an old friend, which was something even her friends that she had would never dare to do. What? Mills took a step back and held his arms over his chest protectively while his eyes widened largely. You, you couldn't really be falling in love with me. <sighs> the Jana felt so frustrated by this person's words that she couldn't find anything to retort back with. She stamped her feet hard in her leather boots on Mills' feet and stormed off in a fast pace with the marine escorts laughing and running after her. Ow! Mills wiggled his toes in his boots and frowned. What did I do? Oh, Drake! Mills grinned as he entered the barracks. You're back! Hey man, just came back yesterday. Drake accepted a brotherly cast from Mills. That was pretty hairy there for a while. Tell me about it. Mills dumped his gear onto his bunk and sat down. We all thought you guys were MIA out there. We got lost out there, Drake told his adventures to Mills, while some of the returned Eagle Company Marines also joined in on the tale. It was almost more than an hour when Drake and Mills caught each other up with the current affairs. We were lucky that we managed to get picked up by the convoy returning workers out there. If not, I don't know how long we would have been before we were found. Well, at least you got to see the bastard in the eyes when you blew him to bits, Mills growled. I didn't even get a shot at one of them. Didn't you catch the princess out there? Drake grinned. Heard you two had a pretty sweet together. Please, Mills raised a palm to stop Drake teasing. Well, I... Uh, I mean, she is pretty and well endowed to boot, but... Uh, She's a viper, Drake finished his small sentence. Just tame her. Oh, please, not you too. UNS Singapore, prison deck, holding cells too. 
Tavar's fingerprints opened up the hatch and he stepped into the clear armor glass holding cell. A young boy sat in the bed, the only furniture inside the mirrored walls of the cell holding his head. The lights and the cell were dimmed down what were enough for Tavar to observe the boy's features. He wore a magic suppression collar and was one orange prison uniform that looked oversized on his skinny frame. Tavar hit the lights and the lights inside the cell grew bright. Then the boy jerked up and looked at the cell in fright. Who are you? Let me go! Let me go! Tavar hit the voice button on the panel. You claim to be a prince of the Bluewood Empire. Is that the truth? Yes! The boy cried out almost in tears. It is the truth! My father took my identity and cast me out to die! That sounds pretty far-fetched, Tavar replied. Do you have any proof? Proof? The boy looked up in a mirrored ceiling where the strange distorted voice appeared from. I have a ring that you took from me. It bears the signet of my lineage. Tavar muted the communication and checked his tablet. Opening his folder on the boy's information, he selected an image from the image folder and enlarged the image, focusing on the ring. It looked like a normal silver ring except for the crest stamped to the top of it. Unable to verify anything or its authenticity, Tavar could only put it aside for now. Now tell me again, how did your father take over your identity? Tabor asked again. Start from the beginning. The boy looked frustration at the same questions over and over again. He sighed and sat back down and hugged his knees. As I said before, he... Orwell's Point, Marine Stronghold, CO's office. Sir, the Marine sentry opened up the door after knocking and showed the two guests in before closing the door and returning to his station. Joseph continued his paperwork without looking up and just casually gestured for the two persons to take a seat. The ex-slave leader, Matthew, turned to his companion and gestured for him to sit down on the chairs before the work desk. Finally, after a short while, Joseph signed off on the reports and kept the documents in a file and observed both the visitors. Matthew, as usual, had a snail oil salesman smile on his face, but seeing the sweat forming on his forehead, Joseph knew how nervous and afraid. On the other hand, his companion had an eagle-eyed look and a hint of aristocratic bearing. The man had a fierce-looking pair of eyes that observed Joseph openly. A pair of bushy eyebrows, topped with his grey eyes and his once full cheeks, looked gaunt, most likely due to lack of proper meals when he was a slave. Joseph could see thin white scars marring the man's stunted face and exposed hands, most likely due to the fierce nature and defiance of the previous masters had inflicted upon him. He gauged the man to be roughly twenty, twenty-five summers old. So what can I help you with? Joseph finally broke the silence and asked directly. My, my, my lord! Matthew cleared his throat and smiled weakly. My, my friend here, Gavin of, of Blackvale, wishes to serve under you as a warrior. Joseph gave a raised eyebrow at the man called Gavin, noting that his build, if properly recovered, this man was most likely a knight or a high-ranked soldier from some fallen nation or kingdom. My lord! The man's brassy voice said, I'm a good fighter, very good in fact. I can wield a sword and a shield, a broadsword, a dagger, spear, halberd, bow and crossbow, all equally well. I'm also proficient in mounted warfare and can use the lance fairly well. He started proudly. As well as unarmed fighting, I know some brawling moves too, and I am also a second circle mage. Joseph nodded in appreciation, knowing that learning any one of these skills would require a lot of dedication and time and effort, most likely since he was starting training as a child. How does a man of your skills end up in the state? Joseph asked curiously. I, uh, 
Used to serve under Captain Knight of 200-man troop, Gavin replied hesitatingly. But we lost and I was taken prisoner and, uh, the king I serve was executed. With no one to pay a ransom for my release, Gavin sighed, I was sold as a slave. I see, Joseph replied and took his head sadly. But I do not need anyone with cold steel skills. Cold steel skills? Gavin cocked his head to the side with an unfamiliar phrase. I can teach too. I used to train my draw my men myself. Joseph smiled. The problem is not with your skills. I'm sure many nobles or even armies would love to have your skills and ability. Then what is the issue here? Gavin's eyes seemed to burn as he felt angry and humiliated at the lord that did not desire his services. Is it because I was a slave before? No, no. Joseph waved his hands in protest. In my army, we do things differently. Skills like swordsmanship or archery are secondary. What? Gavin looked like he was about to explode and his half rose from his feet. Sir, are you joking with me? What kind of army looks down on swordsmanship and archery? Are you trying to insult me? Joseph suddenly laughed as he recalled his own reaction before he joined the UN Marine Corps, which made Gavin more angry, thinking that he was being looked down upon. He roused Footy and turned away in a huff, storming towards the door when Joseph said, Sit down. Joseph paused and turned, seeing Joseph seated calmly with a smile on his face, studying him intently, making him wonder if this is some kind of test. He meekly returned and sat down with an embarrassed look. If you really wish to join my forces, Joseph's smile disappeared and he spoke seriously. You have to swear allegiance and pledge to protect the interests of the United Nations. Gavin nodded solemnly. A knight does not break his bond easily. Good, Joseph nodded, but you will have to retrain everything and the environment will be strange at first, but you will get used to it. No problems, my lord, Gavin declared. I can take any training. Good, then I hope to see you graduate from boot camp. Joseph smiled. Boot camp? Gavin looked confused. Boots have camps. <laughs> Joseph laughed as he thought the same last time. You'll find out when the time comes. Gavin scratched his head in confusion, but he stood up and walked next to Joseph before going down to one knee, bowing. You are my lord and master now, Lord Joseph. I will greet you with all my get up. Joseph grinned. You don't need to swear your fealty to me. I... Huh? Gavin looked up, even more confused at Joseph's words. But, uh, just get up, Joseph replied. Thank you, my lord. Gavin stood up with an expression of confusion. My lord, I... I, I have a request. Tell me, Joseph gestured for him to sit down. I know that there are some people out there willing to serve under your name, too. Gavin replied, most of them are my comrades and brothers in arms that I've known since I was a slave here. Really? Joseph was surprised and pleased at the same time. Recruiting immigrants over to Haven was not a given to go ahead, and due to the differences in culture, mentality, and descent. But if people were recruited directly into the military, that was another story as discipline and order could be instilled into the recruits unless they rebelled, which under military law, it would be a serious offense but still fully controllable, unlike the new civilian immigrants. How many people do you wish to sign up? Joseph asked without showing his excitement. I think about a thousand or so. End of chapter. Chapter 282 Unexpected Encounter All Wells Point, Airfield. Raz, Luthander poked his head into the entrance of the hangar, 
Are you there? He heard a small shuffling noise from deep inside the hangar and he crawled his way in. Raz! His eyes adjusted to the dark of the hangar and he saw Restraz huddling into a ball at the very back of the steel and wood hangar, her wings draped protectively over her head. Ruth sighed, remembering when the fur shot down and the humans took him. He wondered if Restraz was suffering from that same drama as the movies called PTSD. He gently made his huge body over to the side of Restraz and lay down next to her, covering her body with his own larger wingspan. He started humming a tune he remembered from the Game of Thrones as he laid next to Restraz, feeling her warmth spreading to him. <laughs> he hummed as he gently wrapped Restraz with his tail. Ruth Thunder suddenly felt Restraz trembling and shaking under his wing and tail. Concerned, he quickly pushed away her wings and with a serpentine head, Roz, are you okay? <laughs> Restraz burst out laughing. She wiped a tear from her golden eyes and a wingtip and game giggled. <laughs> huh? Ruth Under looked confused. Are you sick? Did they hit you in the head too hard? He held Restraz's head still with his clawed hands. <laughs> Restraz pushed Ruth Under's hand away while trying to hold her mouth. Your, your singing is bad. What? Ruth Under leaned back and gave a relieved grin. Really? Oh well, at least you cheered up. Ah... Uh, Restraz stood up and giggles and stooked at waist and said softly, Thank you for coming back. <laughs> Blue Thunder puffed up his chest. How can I abandon you? I thought you ran off. Restraz whispered as she rested her head on her folded arms. I didn't know if you went for help. I wanted to come and save you. Blue Thunder rubbed his head in embarrassment. But I couldn't save you under those circumstances. Well, at least you came back in the end. Restraz said gently, I guess that counts too. Well, of course, Ruth Under stood up proudly. After all, I was ordered to look after you, and I can't fail in my responsibility, can I? Suddenly, the temperature in the hangar appeared to rise up. Huh, why is it getting hot in here? Ruth Under scratched his head as he looked around in confusion. Raz? Ruth Under turned and saw Rastra starting to glow red in the dark. Um, uh, why are you getting heated up? You idiot. Restraz growled and smacked Blue Thunder with the full force of her tail before she huddled into the corner in a ball. Don't talk to me! Go away! Blue Thunder rubbed the spot in his head where Restraz's tail hit him in confused pain. What did I do? Border of Sin City The line of coverage wagons pulled by land dragons slowly crested over the gentle slopes of the waving grassland. Outriders on alert followed on the side of the convoy, provided protection to the slow rolling wagons as they kept a well-traveled path. Tara stood up on the wagon seat and stared into the city in the distance in shocked surprise as the city now stood blackened ruins visible even from this far distance. What in the heavens? He whispered as his men around him too spotted the ruined city as they were alarmed. From the distance they were at, Taurus estimated that they needed at least another half a day to reach the city. By then, it would be late afternoon. He did not fancy staying near the ruins of a city with barely a few hours of light. He ordered his men to drive the wagons to the side of the path and make camp. Taurus called his guards to be alert and sent a team of fast outriders to scout the city first. As the sun set, the sound of galloping hooves came and a dozen riders pulled up before the entrenched campsite. Captain Taurus, what's the situation with the city? Taurus asked worriedly. If the city was truly destroyed, then all the effort of coming here and trade essentials was completely wasted, and the people back home would face a very hard winter this year. 
Nothing remains of the city, the leader of the scouting party reported, but there are scores of people and orking camps scattered around the ruins. Damnations! Taurus cursed, knowing that they would return empty-handed. What happened to the city? We asked around and the people said it caused a fight between two super-creatures. The scout leader replied, a giant snake from some flying monsters destroyed the city. Some of the people even say that it's the work of the gods that destroyed the city. Sir, we might take this opportunity to salvage whatever useful things we can find in the ruins. The scout leader advised, we noticed most of the people that remained went into the ruins to find anything of worth. Taurus sighed, we don't have much food and water to last us long out here. Sir, we still need to top up our water here. The scout added, why not see if we can trade with the people here if they have what we need? All right, since we're here, we might as well make full use of our supplies. Taurus nodded, get some rest. We will all move out in the morning. The scout saluted with his fist over his chest before going off to look after his mount, leaving Taurus behind to ponder on their options. Taurus sat down before the campfire in deep thought, wondering how can he turn the situation around. Without the city, they would not be able to trade for much-needed food of his people back home, and he did not know any other city existed within the ocean plains. Should he approach the Orkins, but where would he find any Orkin tribes or clans to trade with livestock? He still remembered the incident where he and his men were attacked and captured to be sold as slaves later. Hopefully, tomorrow he would find out what the city ruins hold and what steps he should take after he sees the place with his own eyes. The night went by without any incident, and when morning, the caravan of the dead frontier packed up and rolled forward towards the city ruins. Along the way, they spotted dozens of camps and various sizes, which they learned that most of the camps were survivors of the city, while the Orkin camps seemed to be a mixture of many clans and tribes. People in the camps they passed all looked wretched and downtrodden, even usually loud and boisterous Orkin were strangely quiet and lifeless. The mood surrounding the ruins creeped Taurus out even closer than he got to it, leading him to wondering if it was a good idea to go to the city ruins. Finally, they reached close enough to see the once tall walls were now reduced to barely a man's height, and not one structure remained standing. The once strange-looking squarish palace of dominated the city was gone, flattened to bits and pieces of masonry and charred wood. Yet despite the destruction of the city, he could vaguely see hundreds of figures poking around the ruins, most likely trying to forage or salvage from useful items. He noticed the people still staying around looking like they used to be slaves, judging from the marks on their necks. He raised a hand and directed the caravan to the side path and ordered his men to set up camp again. His caravan arrival had the attention of almost everyone here as they kept their eyes on his wagons, making him feel like they were planning to rob him. He ordered his men to be on alert at all times and be on watch for any attacks by the locals. After ensuring that his camp was properly defended, he set up with an escort and approached the ruined city gates. Less than a month ago, when he came here, the gates were made out of massive logs and were cut and transported at a great cost from the forests at the edge of the great ocean plains, now laid charred ruins. He saw several people with thin bare clothes hacking away at the piece of charred gate most likely chopping it for firewood. He approached them and asked politely, Greetings, may I ask what happened here? Huh? The group of people stopped to work and stared at Taurus with hostility until they noticed the number of well-armed men behind him and changed their tone and bearing. Um, 
The city was destroyed by the gods. Yes, the gods came from the skies and rained fire down. Another said, and a giant snake came out of the palace. It destroyed the city. I heard it was the Orkin shamans who called upon the snake. Another person added, and a group started arguing between themselves over whose story was true. No, it was the goddess that called the fire to burn this place down for its sins. I witnessed a beast myself and rampaged through the city. I see. Taurus raised her hand up to cut off the argument of the locals. When did this happen? Oh, almost two weeks ago. The group finally managed and gave an answer that everyone agreed to. Do you know if there are any farms or merchants remaining? Taurus asked. I want to buy seeds. There are a few scattered farming villages around here, but... Um, one of the group said while rubbing his fingers together. Taurus sighed inwardly and tossed a silver coin over to the man who grinned happily, rubbing the silver against his sweat-stained clothes. There is one about half a day on foot south of here. Just follow the road down. You can't miss it. Or you can try your luck at the city center, where the city storehouses and granaries are. Another person offered helpfully, and Taurus awarded him with a silver coin, too. Maybe you might find the store not yet found by others. Taurus thanked the happy men and left them to their work before heading deeper into the ruins. The once broad streets were cracked and littered with broken masonry. They wandered around and reached the site where he did business with the merchants here. The large warehouses and granaries all surrounded the merchant guild were flattened and most likely picked clean by the survivors. Along the way, he noticed spots with dark stains and insects buzzing around. Most likely someone had dined under the spots. Taurus stood before the ruins of the place where he and his merchants had once dealt with thousands and thousands of gold crowns on the other trade goods. Damn! He kicked a piece of blackened masonry in frustration, knowing the food that he wanted to trade was all burnt down. Oi! Someone suddenly called out to him. Jolting him from his thoughts, he turned and saw a person dressed in what appeared to be one rich clothing, but now looked torn and dirty. He noted the look of the slim young man with raven black hair appeared exotic with his slightly slanted eyes and also, strangely enough, his ears were short and round. Unlike a normal long pointy ears, his voice was even strange accent as he spoke. The strange man pushed himself wearily off from the piece of rubble that he was resting on and dusted himself off. Taurus saw the stranger was shorter than an average and came closer to Taurus while gesturing to the water skin carried by Taurus's belt. Some help here. Can I have some water? End of chapter. Chapter 283. New Things. Uncharted Forest. Fire in the hole, Yoza yelled out from behind a makeshift sandbag bunker while piercing siren wailed out. Fire in the hole. He inserted a key into the firing slot and gave it a twist and the wailing siren blared three times to warn everyone of the danger. The forest rumbled and the earth shook, while hundreds of colorful, feathered varums burst into the skies as they planted explosives detonated. Snaps and cracks of broken tree trunks swallowed off the echoing boom before multiple crashed and top trees were heard. Coming out of the protective bunkers, the workers cheered as they saw the majority of the trees before them had been blown down, making the clearing in the forest easier for the road that they were building towards Orwell's Point. A small army of woodcutters advanced forward with powered chainsaws when the aftermath of the cleared explosions had settled down. Tractors and bulldozers proceeded to shove the dig away at hundreds of years old trees out of the ground and make way for the paving of the highway. 
Goza removed the yellow safety helmet and wiped his sweat off his forehead, and he watched the men cut and dug through the roots before cranes lifted the wood bits away and dumped them onto the back of the flatbed trucks. He admired the vehicles and the efficiency of the tools and knowledge imparted by the humans. If using traditional means, they would have to use two years just to clear the path for the road that they built. But these were amazing tools, and they would be finished the highway in months and just a hundred men. Suddenly, a whistle blew out loudly, followed by another whistle, which indicated a monster attack was taking place. The workers and local defense force were provided security and had run several drills together, and the men knew what to do in the event of an attack. The workers dropped their tools and abandoned their vehicles. They ran towards the sandbag bunkers and armed themselves with LDF teams took up positions. Goblins! Someone yelled out, and several rifle barks echoing down the forest was heard. Joza yelled at the nearby workers uh, to hurry up their rears, and suddenly several short green-gray creatures burst out from the trees shrieking in excitement. Crap! He wanted to duck into the bunker and grab a rifle, but the entrance was blocked by the men and rushing inside. Seeing the goblins was meters away, he grabbed the first tool he could and brandished it before him to the yelping creatures. He pulled the cord on the chainsaw and it burst to life. As it trembled in his sweaty hands like a beast eager for blood. The first goblin giggled as it hacked down the two hands as his crude stone axe and Joza dodged the simple attack easily. He swung his chainsaw downwards and the teeth they saw bit into the back of the neck and the right shoulder of the goblin, spewing dark greenish blood all over as the powered saw sawed off his head and arm of the giggling goblin. <sighs> the blood sprayed all over Joza and he cursed loudly. Fark! The other goblins paused for a while before screaming and charging at him again. Joza quickly took up the spearing position on the holding the chainsaw up before him. Using his superior reach, he swung the chainsaw horizontally and saw it bit into one shoulder of the screaming goblin. The goblin screamed and gargled as its saw-toothed blades savaged its arm off and the chainsaw sputtered as the chain teeth got caught in the ribs of the dying goblin. Oh crap! He shoved the work boots against the childlike body of the goblin and kicked the creature off the blades of the chainsaw. Following that, he backed off from the rest of the goblins and tried to kickstart the chainsaw again by putting the cord. But Lady Luck did not favor him as the motor refused to start. Most of the likely due to the blade getting clogged up with gore. Am I gonna die here? He parried the spear thrust with the chainsaw as he backed off desperately, when suddenly somebody yelled from behind him, Get down! He ducked down to the side and crawled away as half a dozen rifles roared out. Looking up, he saw the goblins that he was fighting with were blown off their feet, coughing from the smelly black powder smoke that lingered around. He accepted a hand from one of the workers who had armed themselves as he felt his legs seem to turn soft. Boss, that was crazy brave of you to tackle those goblins with just a chainsaw. The men laughed and praised Joza. You are like the goblin slayer. If you didn't stop them, we wouldn't be able to arm ourselves in time. The men thanked him feverishly. A couple of squads of the LDF appeared and swept through the surroundings for more goblins. Occasionally, gunfire could be heard. Joza sat on the side of the bunker and gripped his shaking hands tightly, grinning and listening to the workers spreading tale of his bravery. Later on, the workers started wearing handmade patches on their work sleeves and an emblem of a pair of crossed axe and a chainsaw. The work resumed with the occasional track of goblins and monsters, and the work only paused when dozens of heavily laden supply trucks drove up half-completed highway 
before they rolled off into the forest and on their way towards Orwell's Point. Marines on the mounted turrets on top of the trucks waved the workers as they disappeared into the forest. Orwell's Point, Marine Stronghold, CO's Office Tajana looked around at the stone room in disappointment as the furnishings were spartan and dull. A fireplace sat on one side of the large room while a trio of sofas sat before it. The work desk was piled high with documents with an unfamiliar type of parchment that looked beautifully white and cut into perfect rectangles. Those parchments were the only noteworthy items in the room as she sat on one of the chairs at the work desk. Two burly barbarian soldiers in the strange pattern uniforms stood at attention beside the door, preventing her from escaping if she wanted to. Not long, the doors opened and the two barbarian soldiers snapped to attention as a middle-aged-looking soldier in some type of uniform entered with another female and an elderly scholarly-looking mage. The newly-arrived soldier sat down behind the work desk while the other two took seats next to the fireplace. He gestured for the two guards to leave the room before addressing Tajana. Tajana's eyebrows rose as she thought he must be quite confident in his fighting skills if he asked his guards to leave. She eyed the weak-looking female and the old man and wondered if they were more dangerous than they look. I am Captain Joseph, commanding officer of the 2nd Marine Battalion of the United Nations. He spoke. I hope you can forgive us for the lack of hospitality at these trying times. This is Dr. Sharon, our resident doctor and healer. He gestured towards the short lady wearing a pure white coat with many pockets, whose ears were similar to that infuriating barbarian soldier. And this is Magister Thorne. Joseph introduced next. Now, I'm sure you have some questions and it is uncertain about your future here. Joseph continued without pause. Rest assured that you will not be mistreated as long as you behave and give your word that you will not attempt to escape or endanger the lives of the people around you. You all know that my family will not rest until you're dead, right? Tajana leaned back leisurely in a chair. They will not stop and they will resort to all means to take the city. Ah... Yes, Joseph nodded. Your father, Moel Rothschild, is known to be quite the, uh, ruthless man. Knowing that you still dare to stand against him, Tatana sneered. I don't know if I should praise your bravery or your stupidity. The Rothschild family has over two hundred knights, Tatanya proudly declared, each as powerful as a fifth circle mage or higher. What do you think your barbaric peons can do? Tajana smiled sweetly, but I can make you a deal. And what deal would that be? Joseph gave a soft smile. Pray tell us. Surrender and swear fealty to me. Tajana stood up and declared, I will promise you all that your lives will be spared, but your lives will belong to me. She stood them smugly and expecting them to be grateful for the benevolence that she bestowed upon them but she then slowly noticed that Joseph's expression remained the same while the female looked distracted and the old magister looked like he was in some kind of alien specimen. What? Titania angrily stabbed her hands on her waist. Are you denying my benevolence? <coughs> the distracting-looking female cleared her throat. Please stop making a fool of yourself. You have nothing to make a deal with us. What? Titania spun around in anger. Granting you your pitiful lives isn't enough? That is if your daddy can defeat us first. The female dismissed her words casually. Daddy, Titania was confused by the word. You are courting disaster. Thank you, Dr. Sharon, Joseph spoke up. 
Now, Lady Titania, not that we do not want to make your deal with you, but frankly, the terms you offered are, um, unacceptable. In fact, it is laughable. Joseph shook his head sadly. You undermine our abilities, but I can assure you, whatever forces your father sends, my men are more than enough to destroy them all. And, in the meantime, I hope you obey the rules laid out before you, or you have to forgive us for not giving you any respect. Joseph smiled. I guess you have nothing to offer us. I will have my men escort you back to your room. Wait, Titania cried out. You, you, you do not know what's coming. My father will not rest until he destroys you. Titania quickly warned the guards entering the room to bring her back. Why do you risk it all by serving me? You, you and your men can gain riches and power beyond your belief. Joseph raised a hand to stop the marine guards. Lady Titania, rest assured that we already have power beyond your limits and understanding. Your family's two hundred odd knights do not pose a threat to the security of the city. He nodded to the guards and gently pulled Titania out, but she cried out as she was being laid out. No, that is impossible. Unhand me. She wanted to possess the magic that these barbarians and not allow it to be destroyed by her father. If she has the knowledge of the magic, she could surpass her brothers and even her father over time. Not to mention, she could surpass that upstart stuck-up witch. Let me go. I will walk by myself. The two guards shrugged and released her in the hallway. She humphed and straightened the simple gown given to her and tilted her head and walked off towards her assigned room. She must have think of a way to get magic of these barbarians in her hands. As she was walking down the stone hallway towards the room, making plans in her mind, a voice suddenly called out, breaking her thoughts. Titania! She turned around to see who was calling her and froze in shock. Uh, Elizabeth Ragnar! Liz stood there dumbstruck as she saw the rich, spoiled girl who always bullied her when she was studying in Bluewood Royal School of Magic, but she always managed to defeat her in academic fields. Both girls in the hallway stared at each other and cried out at the same time, What are you doing here? End of chapter 284 Long-Term Plans UNS Singapore Conference Room The room quickly filled up with both physical and virtual presences with the top brass and heads of departments. Once everyone had settled down, Commander Ford started the meeting. As you know, the agenda for today's meeting will be about a future prospect here. We have landed here for almost a year and a half and had made substantial progress in all fields. He fought, continued, be it agriculture, mining, manufacturing, construction, science, magic, or defense. Now we have surpassed our initial basic needs and has come to a stage where we have to decide what will be our long-term goals and plans, Ford said. Captain Blake stood up and took over. As what the XO has said, we now have reached the stage where we need to decide what we want to do here. As your commander and highest-ranking officer, I have the authority to give you an absolute order to everyone follows along, Blake said. But I'm kind of wearing a double hat here, one as your commanding officer and the other as a civil governor. The military will always follow the orders of civilian democratic government, Blake continued. So here we will push forward some proposals, and these will now be decided by majority vote, as these will affect our future and even our future generations to come. As of now, we still do not have technology and means to construct an FDL or even sublight to take us out of this planet, Blake said. R&D gave us an estimate that another three years or less if we want not interrupted. 
we should have capabilities to conduct orbit launches out of the planet into low orbit, provided that we can get an advanced materials needed to space rockets and our propulsion knowledge boosted from certain literacy levels, Blake added. Other than that, trying to build a space drive to bring us home, R&D estimates at least 20 years to even develop the basic sublight engines. Everyone's expressions in the meeting room turned disappointed. Sir, 20 years? One of the officers asked, why so long? We have the tech manuals and engineering practically knows the insides of the basic space thrusters and engines. Let me explain. Chief Engineer Matt stood up and Blake nodded for him to continue. Knowing the inside out of a space engine and having a manual as a difficult from building one from scratch, take the materials needed, Matt said. We need high-grade advanced alloys and composites for just basic engine body, not to mention advanced microelectronics for the computer systems needed to control the whole damn thing. The locals have limited knowledge of science and even our people aren't full-time engineers or specialists with years of space engineering experience, Matt explained. Other than some old hands and instructions here, everyone of the original crew is just kids freshly graduated from schools or universities. And not everyone holds an engineering degree, Matt added. Hell, I've got a couple of social media designers in my department. Even if we have the knowledge, Matt continued, we do not have the resources nor the manufacturing capabilities. Our fabricators are just for normal non-shipyard graded repairs and replacements. Already we are stressing out the fabricators by brute forcing them to make things that are not originally designed to be making. Thank you, Chief, Blake gestured Matt to stop. I think it is enough of an idea of what we can do or not do to get home, yes? So now, since we most likely will be back here for many years, I think it is fair that we start to plan more permanent mentality that we will be here for good, Blake declared. We got a few choices, Blake started to list points off. We can continue to dig in and expand our manufacturing and tech abilities. Who comes to attack us, we remain and just defend. We keep closed-door policy to all foreign influence. Next, we take a pure military stance and force the Empire to capitulate, Blake's eyes glittered. That we take control of the whole continent. Lastly, we carve a niche for ourselves. Blake looked around. We hold off the Empire with military strength and diplomacy, and ally with whoever is willing to be our allies. What do you all think? Blake asked everyone present, both physically and virtually. Captain, Dr. Sharon's image spoke up. While closing ourselves off away from the whole world and minding our own business doesn't mean that others will not come and find trouble with us. Hence, the first option is not viable. Not to mention, the native population is pretty aggressive, Dr. Sharon added. We can't turtle up and close our borders and expect others to not come knocking at our doors. And, without a source of manpower from the natives, it is almost impossible to create a workforce to improve our tech base either. Chief Engineer Matt chipped in. What we need most here is manpower, which is seriously lacking. Sir, Major Frank spoke up. Chief Matt is right. Without manpower, closing our doors to the locals will not only affect our workforce, but also our military strength. We need manpower to draw our recruits from, Frank continued. And without a high-tech workforce, we can't even produce combat drones or replace any losses we sustain from combat. It is close to too impossible to invade and take control of the whole continent due to those reasons, Frank commented. Even if we have the power to draw from, Holding the whole continent without the local having a certain level of education and proper governance, it'll lead to an uprising amongst the nobility there. The culture here and how life goes on is too deeply seeped in the bones of the population here, Frank said. We can't just waltz in and force everyone to follow our laws and rules. 
there will be a mass of outbreaks and revolts and unrest. I say the second option is out too, Frank ended his view. So, the only way is the third option, Blake asked around, seeing every one of the officers nodding. If that is the case, then we need to start a 10-year and a 50-year action on both military and civic matters. I want all departments to submit both 10-year and 50-year plans by the end of spring. Blake ordered, seeing everyone who has no objections. That'll give you and your people roughly a month plus to work out the plans for your future. All right, that'll be it for today's meeting, Blake stood up. Good work, everyone, and let's work together towards a future here. Dismissed. Ruins of Sin City. Are you sure there is something useful here? Taurus asked the short-eared stranger with what he called himself as Long. Leong nodded and bit into the greasy hunk of meat when some plains creature. He led the couple of wagons and its escorts to his newly made friend away from the ruined city. We are nearly there, just over the small rise. Taurus frowned and wondered should he really trust an unknown person. He had never seen anyone with ears like this, and he wondered if it was clipped away from the young or who was born that way. He looked back towards the city ruins, seeing the clusters of tents scattered around the city edge, before turning back to try and spot anything unusual at the spot where Long had pointed out. He had only brought along a hundred men and a couple wagons to check out if Long had been telling the truth. In exchange for food, water, and protection, the stranger promised to lead them to a hidden underground supply store. Faced without much of a choice, since the city was totally devastated and barely has the food they needed, he decided to trust this weird stranger's words and agreed to his terms. How, after riding for two hours over endless plains with no end in sight, he started to doubt the words of the stranger. Here! The short-eared with the strange accent suddenly yelled out from the wagon. He hopped out and ran towards a slight depression in the land. Taurus stood up in the wagon and surveyed his surroundings before frowning. There was barely anything here, and the ground was covered in swaying knee-length grass. His veteran men had automatically taken up a defensive stance and without being told. They spread out and faced away from the wagon and on alert for an ambush. There's nothing but grass here, Taurus yelled at the stranger, who had ran to the middle of the depression. Dig here, the short-eared man yelled as he gestured to the ground at his feet. The supplies are buried underneath. You sure? Taurus's escorts asked him as they eyed the strange man warily. Something doesn't seem right. Trust him for now, but keep your swords loose. Taurus replied as he concerned men. If he does anything dangerous, get him. His men nodded and they took some digging tools from the wagons before they went over to where the excited short ear was gesturing. An hour later, they hit something hard and the men worked harder, uncovering what appeared to be some sort of underground building with a wide door capable to fit to wagons and brought through with ample space on the sides. The strange short ear went up to the door and fiddled with it before he gestured to Taurus and his men to help push the door open. They had to dig more of the soil away for the door to swing outwards. When the door was fully open, the strange men went in and Taurus and his men followed. Using an illumination spell, the interior was lit up clearly and they saw the insides were simple and had no other way out and it was roughly the size of a standard storehouse. A huge object covered in a heavy cloth and other crates were barrels stacked on the inside. The strange short ear climbed up and covered the object and pulled away a heavy cloth exposing the object, much to the fascination of Taurus and his men. It was almost as tall as their covered wagon, and its width was wider while its body was longer. 
It had two fat wheels in the front where the glass window covered most of the head, while its rear and flat cover were many smaller wheels inside of it. The body was a boxy in appearance, and upon closer inspection, the whole thing seemed to be made out of iron. There was something hooked up and also covered up behind the strange metal wagon-like thing. The strange short ear gestured to the side and said, Those are food and grain seeds that were stored away for emergency supplies. They should be enough to last your people over winter. The strange man said as he appeared to fiddle around with an object at the back of the metal object. Finally, he straightened up and with a satisfied smile on his face. What is this thing? Doris asked as he circled around the strange metal object twice. A kind of sculpture? <laughs> no, 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 no. So strange man grinned. This is a vehicle. It's like your wagons without a need for animals to pull it. Really? Taurus turned his attention to the smiling short ear. It can move without animals. By magic. <laughs> yes, yes. Leon grinned wider. It's kind of like magic. He reached up and opened the door to the driver's cab and climbed in. He opened the glove compartment and took out the engine key, kept inside and started the engine. Much to the surprise and fright of the men as the vehicle suddenly started vibrating and making a noise. He smiled and quickly pocketed an amulet that was inside the compartment, making sure that those people did not see him do it and leaned over the door. Well, I'm delivered my end of the bargain. Can I join you in your settlement? End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.